Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Welcome to Rule the Roost podcast, the evening standards, Dan Kilpatrick. This is actually the third take of beginning this conversation. I, w- I won't steal your thunder in revealing why uh, we've had to do a couple of takes. Well, I'm happy to, to tell the listeners. The first one was because I messed up and forgot to put my headphones in. The second one was because you introduced a podcast as the fighting cock. Yeah. A deeply revealing moment that shows where your true Isn't loyalty just... is still lie, I feel. Well... <laughs> Perhaps I mean just just for some for some uh, extra clarity, I, you know, uh, I was just listening to the latest episode of said podcast uh, before recording this. So uh, you know, a lot of love for Flav, Ricky, Spooky, Felonius, and the rest of the lads. The re- you know the rest of them, whoever else they've got on their ragtag bunch. It's quite rare. It's, it's like when a player sort of says the name of their former club when they're talking about their current club. I mean, that doesn't happen very often, does it? I'm struggling to think of an example, but there, there must have been an example where someone said, you know, United, when, you know, they've just left United and joined and joined someone else. That's that's basically what you've done, but about five years after you left the fighting cock. <laughs> Mate, it's even more now, but it's not the, uh, it's not the cleanest example of it, but uh, I believe... If legend has it that Rubinho initially thought he was signing for Manchester United, right? And, yeah, uh, that and, makes sense. And went ahead and signed for Man City, and that's why there's some of his early Man City reveals. He's looking like distraught, holding up this kind of blue shirt. But anyway, that's uh, that's another era. Um, how 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 have you been, mate? Like foot football's back football is back if if anybody's missed it and you're you're back in in stadiums or in stadia should i say I i'm back in stadia yes that you can say that so i've already answered this question already but i'm going to try and do it again uh for this third take but yeah i'm back in stadia and aware that i'm in quite a privileged position and i'm trying not to forget that but at the same time i'm already very used to the new normal it really has become normal so I've done every Spurs game which I think is what's eight games now for Spurs and quite a few championship games as well I've been to Millwall a few times and Fulham a few times Um, and so being in empty stadiums is something I've got used to it's obviously awful Uh, football without fans I wouldn't go too far as to court say it's nothing but it's because it's obviously something and we're well, I'm enjoying that something, but it is massively diminished. But you know, from my point of view, there are some, some quite nice perks, like being able to park outside the stadiums. The social distance element of it isn't so bad. Um, 
you get a, a nice bit, a seat and you can spread out and do your work in the press box instead of being kind of really bunched up as you sometimes are at places like Craven Cottage. So I've got used to it, but I'm very much looking forward to the return of fans, which I think will be a gradual thing. Um, it's it's really not felt the same. And I think, you know, it's, to be honest, whatever it is that I love about football, and I do love football, that definitely involves the fans. I'm, I'm not such a purist as I can enjoy a kind of tactical battle um, without all the noise and colour and atmosphere mm. behind it. The passion with a SH in the middle of it. Exactly, yeah, so, I need that. I've, uh, you know, because obviously it's not like me to be a, a blowhard with big opinions or anything, but uh, the, the initial concept of watching football with artificial crowd noise... I was very averse to, um, but I've I've been unable to watch any of the games without it. If if I'm if I'm brutally honest, I've ha- I've had to have it on, and I'm just interested to know from being in the ground, has it has it opened up anything more for you in your appreciation or understanding of the games that you're watching, hearing kind of the players communicating more clearly and such. You know what, that's been one of my biggest disappointments, actually. Uh, Before the restart, we did a piece on the Evening Standard website where all the reporters were asked for the thing they were most looking forward to about the restart. And, you know, some people said Liverpool winning the title or whatever. And I said, I'm really looking forward to hearing a bit more from the players and managers and sort of understanding uh, what, what they say to each other on the pitch a bit better. But it's been quite disappointing. It's, it's often it's just exactly the same stuff that you hear at Sunday League. Like, you know, push up, get out. The managers are often kind of yelling someone's name and, and telling them to sort of slightly move positions. Um, so I, I don't think I've heard any kind of really searing original insight from the touchline or from the players yet. Um, and I've been in some very good positions. Uh, Bournemouth, I was literally three or four rows back from the pitch. So I did hear Harry Kane giving, um, I think, Adam Smith, who's a Bournemouth player, he used to play for Spurs. Harry Kane had a bit of banter with him when he got injured, which was um, which was interesting to to listen to. You don't often get to hear that. But no, I haven't really, really gleaned anything from being able to hear them. I mean, you, you do notice who the more vocal players are. And I will say that, it perhaps changed my perception of Eric Dyer a little bit because when he was in the back four, he was clearly, you know, that guy, again, to use the Sunday league analogy, that guy who's the sort of defensive captain. He's like, get up, get out, you know, push up. Um, the guy screaming across the back four and keeping the line. That was very obviously Dyer and you, you weren't really hearing anything from Sanchez um, or Aurier, in fact. Ben Davis was seems fairly vocal um and since he's been out the team there's been a bit less of it i think alderville is probably the guy doing that now because you don't hear a lot from sanchez so that 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 slightly changed my perspective because i thought you know what i can really see why jose Mourinho wants dyer back there or likes having dyer back there because he must want someone to kind of organize the defense and be a kind of vocal captain type uh, figure at the back so that's probably the one thing I would say I've picked up from from the lack of noise well we've just signed uh, Eric Dyer up for another four years as yes well, so he's, we have he's clearly yeah he's clearly I'm, I'm pretty happy about that so you know. yeah I think I think it's it's a, 
there's no real downside to that, is there? Um, I, I, I think I'm still not convinced by him at centre half, but it's it's obviously not a bad thing. No, I th- I think you know he's a he's a he's a very good squad player, and his you know if we can see him shake off some of his injury issues and what have you, you know, then perhaps he's got a high ceiling than that. But his baseline, at least to me, is a good player and somebody you want about the place. Um, and I think. Kind of touching on this, the fact that we're we're seeing now another, maybe a bit of a throwback in a way to Spurs perhaps signing somebody like Dyer in for four years in particular. To me, it seems quite significant in that there is that long-term contractual approach coming back that Spurs are trying to kind of rekindle a bit of the love and we're, with the playing staff that is and we're perhaps starting to see that with the results on the pitch. Would you say that the the general mood after what Pochettino himself predicted would be a painful transition is maybe starting to come out the other end now? Yeah, possibly. I mean, it's interesting you say that because Dyer did an interview with Spurs TV and it's, it's always important not to read too much into this stuff, obviously, because it is essentially club PR. But he did an interview where he said he felt similar to when he first joined the club as a 20-year-old and he felt like he was starting something new, which I think gives you an idea of um, you know, how, I guess, how different it must feel under Mourinho to Pochettino. I mean, obviously, we, we can see that on the pitch now, just polar opposite in terms of approach, albeit quite a lot of the same personnel. But obviously, the there is a very different feel and, and atmosphere and, and, and sort of... Um, your way of doing things, I suppose, around the place. And and, and that could be quite significant because I think you know, one of the biggest problems with Pochettino was just his sense that it had really gone stale um, and that the, the players were, were probably all a bit fed up with each other. They were probably a bit fed up with Pochettino's methods, albeit, um, you know, he'd done such a such a fabulous job. And then the Champions League final defeat was, was, was a kind of final straw that um, sort of broke everyone. Um, so I think that, that was... It, some interesting um, some reading f- from from Dyer. And I do think the, the mood has really picked up. I think Spurs have had a really impressive week. Uh, after Bournemouth, I, I was really fearful of, of, of what was going on. It just looked like some fairly similar uh, Mourinho-type patterns were repeating themselves. I didn't know what the plan was. Um, I didn't think it seemed like a very happy camp. Um, Mourinho kind of stormed out of his post-match press conference because the Zoom didn't work properly and he didn't really give it much of a chance and it just it didn't look good and, and actually I think Mourinho's had a really really impressive week um, outfoxed two supposedly progressive younger managers in, in Arteta and uh, Rogers and beaten Newcastle who are very solid at home um, and, and Spurs in general have had a good week you know Kane's had a great week Son's had a good week um, so it's certainly looking a lot more positive and I think um, the mood which was optimistic at the restart and then obviously went downhill with the Sheffield United result and, and some of the performances around that game um, is now back to being pretty upbeat and optimistic and, and kind of looking ahead to a clean slate and a fresh start at the start of next season. Because it is it is it is interesting, like you say, because... It did. It felt like things 
had gotten off to quite a good start. Even though, yeah, I know we drew the game and we gave away a dodgy penalty. The result against Manchester United, when you look back on it now and you look at how Manchester United have performed since, should probably be held up as a really good result. And I feel we played pretty well in that game. Um, but like you say, things did take a bit of a, a, a downward twist. And I believe it was it was Alderweireldo who publicly kind of said, the thing that's most frustrating about this is that people aren't really seeing how hard we are trying behind the scenes and how much we kind of are trying to build something something new. And do, do you think that's just that's a testament to some of the characters Spurs have and some of that guile that they did show under Pochettino and things that Pochettino um, perhaps noticed or, you know, helped to kind of, I don't know, tend to in a lot of the squad? Or is it this classic Mourinho siege mentality, do you think, that he's building up? Do you, do you feel that essentially what's happening is a, a positive is coming out of a negative situation in a in a negative way, I guess, or does it still feel quite positive overall? Um, slightly lost you there, if I'm honest. I, I, th- I feel like... So, uh, too, too long didn't read. I, I often feel that Mourinho manages to, to kind of gather positives out of negative situations in a negative way. It's us against the world and we're going to show everybody. Or does it still feel that there's enough of a heart there, a Pochettino kind of heart amongst a lot of right. these players, whereby, yeah. yeah, they feel that their back's against the wall, but they're still going to come out fighting? Well, look, I think that on that, the, the idea that Spurs love proving people wrong and that everyone writes them off is, is really not a new thing. And that was a well-established part of Pochettino's um, motivation as well. And, and that's kind of embodied by Kane isn't it this this idea that you write him off and he'll prove you wrong and I think there was a lot of that chat in the five and a half years under Pochettino you know at the start of every season you know invariably Spurs hadn't done much in the transfer window and invariably you were you were talking about maybe them not uh challenging for the top four again and you know so about three or four years in a row that there was that idea that oh we're going to prove people wrong you know there's a lot of talk about us there's a lot of talk about um, us falling away and, and we're going to show everyone and, and they did so I don't think that um, I, I, I was in on that Elderville interview that you, you referred to there and I don't think that kind of there's been a lot of talk and we're going to prove people wrong is anything new but it certainly is something that um, will suit Mourinho down to the ground I mean that's what he likes to to build up as you said he likes he likes a kind of us against the world mentality and I think in a way he's, he's at, he is at the perfect club um, to instill that because of the the trophy history, because of the um, history under Pochettino as well. So I think that that still exists. I think what's been impressive in in the last few weeks is is the response to the Sheffield United game, which now looking back does just seem like a a real a real kind of nadir in, in what's otherwise been a, a fairly positive few weeks since the restart for Spurs and you know Mourinho made the decision to come out and really hammer the players after that game and I thought at the time I'm not sure this is the best approach um and fair play to him it, it seems to have worked I mean maybe the maybe the players did need that um kind of minor kick up the arse and maybe they haven't really had that that level of um scrutiny from a manager before 
Um, but I don't tend to agree with, with that kind of negging of squads and players in public. I think it rarely works. But on this occasion, it, it seemed to. And to everyone at the club's credit, uh, the response to that, albeit the Everton and Bournemouth games were pretty dispiriting, but still the, the response in terms of points and results has actually been really, really good. It's different because it's, sometimes it can feel a bit affected, can't it? Like I think after a, after you know something like Sheffield United or Bournemouth, you can understand a, a manager maybe saying something to the effect of expecting a bit more character from his players. It's it's when Mourinho really goes granular on it and starts digging out as we saw in the past with Luke Shaw or somebody like that where you feel a bit more uncomfortable with that kind of public shaming if you like. Yeah and, and it, it's it, it's re- the repeated attacks as well because he not only said it after Sheffield United he then said it in the next press conference and referred to it again in the one after that so it's it's when the when the kind of rhetoric is more consistent and sustained is when you feel like he's really trying to get a message across. And and I did kind of wonder, you know, is this message going to work? And it looks like uh, it has. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you feel for a club that's not only become accustomed to, but arguably now relies upon Champions League qualification, Will qualifying for the Europa League still be seen as a mark of success for this season? I think you have to look at the look at it in the context of the season, and I think qualifying for the Europa League will genuinely be a success if Spurs can can manage it this season, given all the upheaval, given all the turmoil, and frankly, given the way they played in quite a few matches, which has just been pretty abysmal. And and not to mention, you know, Mourinho wouldn't like it if I didn't mention the injury crisis, which was pretty unprecedented before the shutdown. So I think it, I think in the, in the context of everything that's happened, it it would really be not remarkable, but but pretty impressive if Spurs finished sixth. Um, and I think it would be a success. And I, I think. Yeah, it's it's a bit gutting to miss out in the Champions League, and and it's it's a bit worrying because I, I do think, I think there are players like Kane, or particularly Kane, frankly, who really found their level in the Champions League, and and Harry Kane will be thinking, you know, I want to win the Champions League Golden Boot every season. That 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 will be a genuine target for him. He'll want to be, uh, at the end of his career, among the top scorers in Champions League history. You know, that will be a genuine target for him. Uh, he'll want to be someone who makes his mark in that competition in the same way that, that players like Ronaldo have made their mark in the competition. That That's the 
bars he set. So he will feel like he's not playing at his level next year. Um, and, and so will a few others as well. Um, so it, it's it's not something that can be sustained, I think. The club can't do an Arsenal and have whatever it is now, three or four years outside the Champions League. Because I don't think certain players, particularly Kane, would stand for that. But I think as a one-off in the in the context of what's happened, um, that they'll be really keen to get in the Europa League. And I think, yeah, it's financially it's not nearly the same, and, and Spurs are really going to miss that money as well, given the effects of the pandemic. But again, that they kind of really need that 30 or 40 million they'll get from the Europa League. Um, yeah, given the losses caused by the shutdown, I think as well, you know, Mourinho's obviously again. It's there's always a, an element of the theatrical with him, but his kind of you know, win two more games and we've won the Europa League kind of sentiment. It at least shows that they feel it would be well within their reach to win something like the Europa League, and I think perhaps after all the. Uh, all the kind of what have they even won though type rhetoric that you know I mean let's be honest it's largely from the the banter lords that type of stuff but there is some perhaps more uh, academic discussion should we say about Tottenham's lack of getting it over the line were they to to bounce back after a season like this and go on and really make a fist of you know either getting to the latter stages of or dare say winning the Europa League it would almost be a club kind of announcing itself still as a as a top club, right? Yeah, and and I, I think Mourinho is absolutely right to be telling the players that because in my impression of the Europa League is that pretty much any British club that really takes it seriously, and this is going back to even sort of Fulham and Middlesbrough way back when, if you really go into that competition as a Premier League club and and take it seriously you know prioritize it over a um over a, a sort of smaller premier league game a few days later then then you've got a really really good chance of winning it um pretty much every club that, that really has a good go gets to the semi-final or final as kind of united and chelsea and arsenal have shown over the last few years again so i, I think there's every chance spurs can do really well particularly with a kind of cup specialist in Mourinho at the helm he's won it twice before once very recently um, and I mean, honestly, who knows at the moment? Because we don't know what's going. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in the transfer window. But it might even be a better or more realistic chance to get back in the Champions League for Spurs than than finishing in the top four. If if you think that Liverpool and City are going to be bankers, and and United and Chelsea are looking very very strong and are going to probably be the two biggest spenders in the transfer window, then a top four place is going to be really tough. Um, not to mention, you know, if Arsenal get it together a bit under Arteta and, and then there's Leicester. So Spurs will be looking at that and thinking it's a great opportunity to end the trophy drought and win a major trophy. Um, it's a great opportunity uh, to get back in the Champions League um, and sort of put the club, as you said, on the map again. Um, they've got the stadium for it. They've got the manager for it. They've got the players who have the experience and quality for it. So I really don't see why that isn't uh, a realistic aim next season. I'll, I'll completely hold my hands up to this because, you know, there are there are several different machinations as to how Spurs would go about qualifying for the Europa League. 
Um, or not, dare I say. And this is a question I've asked myself, well, I've found myself just asking in general for the majority of my life as a Spurs fan. Seventh place is not good enough for Europa League qualification, right? We have to finish sixth. So if Chelsea win the FA Cup, seventh is enough, I believe. Okay. And it's a little bit complicated because Wolves could also win the Europa League and not finish in the top seven. Uh, I should have done my research. Let, let's let's just say that sixth will definitely be good enough. And I think seventh will, will really depend on the FA Cup final. So, I mean, either way, unfortunately, Spurs need a favour from Chelsea because Chelsea play Wolves on, on the final day at Molyneux. So if Chelsea takes something off Wolves and Spurs beat Palace, then Spurs will come sixth. Uh, equally, if Wolves win that game but Chelsea beat Arsenal in the FA Cup final then I think seventh would be enough for Spurs so yeah I, ha- I hadn't even considered Wolves winning in the Europa League yeah that that also changes things you need to take if you're on Twitter you need to check Dale Johnson's timeline he's done a very thorough um, rundown but I think Wolves need to win the Europa League and then not finish in the Europa League places um then they'll get a spot. Oh, I don't know. Um, but I think it, I it th- all feels like that. It all feels like a perfect storm of something that's ultimately going to end in Spurs. I don't know, getting relegated or something. But yeah, I, I, I do have a lot of optimism that Spurs are going to do it. Uh, I think Chelsea and Wolves it feels like a draw to me, and I think I can't see Palace with seven defeats on the bounce and nothing to play for, um, containing Kane and, and Son uh, on Sunday. So I think Spurs have, have got a very, very good chance. And, and and let's face it, I mean, I know at the start of the, shot, uh, the, start of the restart, we, we were thinking about a run into the top four, but, you know, a few weeks ago, I think most people would have, would have taken this position after what happened at Sheffield United. And, and even after... The performance of Bournemouth, I think people would have said, yeah, you know, I'd take going to Palace on the final day to win, to have a decent chance of sixth. In a more speculative sense, should the, uh, well, maybe not the worst, but should the worst happen and Spurs don't uh, qualify for the Europa League next year, do you feel that there's any kind of blue sky element to that? you know, less congested fixtures, we can have a crack at the league. Because in ordinarily I would I would feel that way, but it just in my opinion anyway, Spurs are so far off of that top two, let alone perhaps even as you touch on Chelsea and United, that it seems almost farcical to say that if we're not in the Europa League, we can try and win the title next year. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously loads of great examples of teams that aren't playing in Europe and then have great seasons. I mean, Conte's Chelsea winning the title and and then Leicester as well, obviously the, the two best ones. So I do think a side has a much better chance of being more consistent over the course of the season. And you can see that, you know, Mourinho in the last few weeks um, has basically trusted kind of 13 players. You know, he's played the same 11, and the, oh, sorry, in the last week, really. He's played the same 11 uh, in every game. Uh, and he's brought Lamella and Bergwijn off the bench, and then a few players have made cameos, but that's it. 
mean, he's trusted 13 players. If you add Delhi and Dyer to that, uh, who've been injured and suspended respectively, then you've got about 15, and and you know maybe maybe in Dombele and Sessegnon could could make a little comeback next season. But but the the pool of players that he obviously trusts is pretty small, and that would really lend itself to to being in fewer competitions and him you know barely rotating. Uh, the team, as as Leicester did under Ranieri, and just having this very set, possessionless way of playing every week and trying to kind of shithouse the way to to the top four. So I, I could see it happening, but I, I just think Spurs also have a lot of players they need to keep happy. You know, Sessignon and, and Ndombele, as I've just mentioned, you know, guys um, guys like Tanganga. Um, Foyth, you know, there's players that, that need minutes. Um, and the, the other thing that I think has really been overlooked as well recently is that there's still a pretty decent chance that Spurs are going to try and push through some wage cuts or wage deferrals at the end of the season. I mean, they, a lot of clubs have just put that on ice. Um, but, you know, th- there's there's every chance that's going to happen. And uh, if they're not in the Europa League, as you've seen at Arsenal who have agreed cuts, you know, being in the Europa League makes a big difference. And I think Arsenal's cut goes down from 12.5% to, I think, 7.5% if they get in the Europa League. So the players there will be desperate to do it because otherwise they'll literally be losing money. And it'll be a similar thing at Spurs. You know, the players will, will know that that could have a, a genuine effect on on finances and, and you know, how lucrative any new contracts are or, or, or literally how much they're getting paid. Um, so there's, there's, there's lots of financials to consider. Um, are there any actual specific numbers released? As, as you just res- referenced Arsenal there. Have Spurs given any sort of clarity to that kind of no, thing? No, I think Spurs, like like most clubs in the Premier League, I mean, um, have put the issue on ice, but I don't think they've put it to bed. So Arsenal were one of a few clubs, and they were by far the most high-profile club, to agree cuts. Um, Chelsea kind of publicly announced they hadn't been able to reach an agreement, but again, they might look at it at the end of the season when they know what the financial impact of of the shutdown is and, and they know you know what competition they're playing in next season or although I think in their case you know, given they're spending a lot of money on new players that they probably won't won't do anything but you know Spurs, Spurs might look at it again and I, I haven't got any indication that they, they definitely will or won't but it's, it's as far as I'm aware it's not off the table um, and, the, and playing in the Europa League makes a big difference you know it helps it's worth 30-40 million quid um, and that could be the difference in a couple of new signings and not making new signings as well. So, what? Yeah. So, you know, to go back to your original question, while while I could definitely see the benefits of you know Mourinho using a very small squad and just trying to um, have a really compact, tidy lead season, I think the the cons really outweigh the pros um, on that one. Nice. I'm I'm conscious of the fact I'm taking some of your your time here, Dan. Your your you're a busy man nowadays. Um, you're not. You're not one of us anymore. Just one of these like layabout podcasters. Um, oh, yeah, I am. I'm just just a layabout I, <laughs> journalist now. It's, it's very That's similar. It. It's very you, similar. But, I'm still. You're still still kind of sofa based. Um, but yes, I'm. I'm but you uh, just get you get decent in stadia meals now. That's, That's well. We used to. Not anymore. I'm afraid they can't feed us now. I've been making my own lunches actually since um, since the restart. 
but um, it's one of the things I, I do miss most genuinely. I mean, I know there's always a bit of banter about kind of journalists being fed and it's a bit lame, but <laughs> you, you, there was great, great food at Tottenham's new stadium. It really was world class. It was often the best meal I had all week. So um, I hope I hope that's one of the things that, that returns in full from next season. Look, I, I know you need to keep good good connections with Mick, but don't you don't shill for the club on me. <laughs> Sorry, uh, mate. Yeah, I guess. Uh, all, all I would ask you just in closing is a, a, a slightly cheekier one in that uh, have you got any uh, any idea of what the sort of transfers outlook will be like for Spurs this summer? Yeah, I think it's I think it will be a really tough market, obviously, and Spurs will will be competing in a really um, fierce. Uh, area of it which is for loans free transfers and and players that are kind of coming up to the final year of their deal and Hoiberg is, is the best example of that I, 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 if I was to put a bet on on where he plays next Hoiberg I would say it'll be Tottenham I think I think it, they'll end up getting him um, and, and probably Walker Peters goes the other way beyond that I don't really have many kind of exciting names or, or much information apart from to say that I think it's pretty obvious that the positions Mourinho wants. You know, he he wants a holding midfield player, which will probably be Hoiberg. Um, he he wants to strengthen at right back, and and that might depend on on Aurier's future. And I think Aurier might um, look to leave again in the summer because he always looks to leave. Um, and then there's, you know, then there's a backup striker for Kane, which obviously was the, the big priority in January. You know, maybe another winger as well, a centre half. So that there's there's quite a lot of work to do, and I think so much of the summer will just be about being, you know, the club trying to be sort of clever and opportunistic. Really, I mean, they've they've signed this um, teenager from from Wigan uh, this week, and. Um, I don't think it's anything to get too excited about. You know, he's going to go into the the academy, um, and you know, he may or may not make the grade. But it's, you know, it, it's it's a bit vulturey, but I, I guess it's a kind of clever, you know, signing that that Spurs have typically done well on. You're know, looking for potential down the leagues, looking for for kind of opportunities and and pouncing, and I think they'll they'll have to kind of return to to those ways really, because um, it is going to be tough and. You know they're not going to be signing the the type kind of ready-made stars from the Bundesliga uh, that that Chelsea are. Um, it's just not going to be possible. Do you think? I mean, the only way you could really, you know, I'd say from the outside anyway, looking in, see that kind of thing happening is if we're swapping an Ndombele, for example, with a with a similar kind of player. Yeah, yeah, and I and I and I wouldn't rule that out. I think I think there will be swap deals. Um, this summer, I mean, I think we've already seen Barca and Juve did quite a weird one. Um, Barca asked Spurs actually about Dombele and Sassignon, which I wrote a few weeks ago uh, for the Evening Standard. They, they said, um, we like those players. Um, you know, do you want some players in part exchange? I think Spurs said no. So, you, you know, that one you know, could re-emerge and, and you'll see more clubs trying to do those those type of deals. So, yeah, Dombele, from what I understand, Spurs want to keep Dombele, but I think the the problem for him is the transfer window closes a sort of full month after the start of the season. So, you know, if he doesn't play in the first three games, or he gets injured and he doesn't, he gets injured in the first month of the season again, or, or he just doesn't impress, then you know there's a whole month for 
for the club to kind of reconsider that position before before the deadline day scramble. So, yeah, I mean, that's true of all players, actually. You know, they've, they've got to they've got to start next season well or um, or their position could suddenly become quite uncertain. Well, they're toast. Much like this podcast. Thanks very much for your time, Dan. Um, I hope I hope you've enjoyed this little foray back into. into I have very much. You you did. I should uh, give mention to the fact you were a podcaster with the Tottenham Way. You are you are actually the Tottenham Way, or you were at least in a. I'm not the I'm not the Um, Twitter account anymore. Um, But yeah, I did. I did (laughs) found that. I do want to make very quick to distance yourself from that. that Very clear. Um, yeah, I started the podcast with, with Tom and we've done a couple of, we've called them the the lockdown tapes or the crisis tapes, sorry, in lockdown. And we did a great one that I would urge all your listeners to, to seek out with Adam Nathan, where he, he detailed the many, um, the many occasions where he feels that Spurs have ba- basically been robbed by referees, um, which is a, which is a very fun podcast, uh, to record um, and we might do a part two uh, f- from that little series at some point soon and you can hear that on all all good podcast platforms and such mm, you can yes but anyway it's been a pleasure mate thanks for having me on not not to worry mate thank you and uh, yeah anyone that's listening still stop sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.